Hi there, and welcome to Plant CEO. In today's episode, I'd like to welcome Michelle Edelman, the CEO and founder of Infinite Foods. Hey, Michelle, how are you? I'm fantastic. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Great to have you on the show. So, yeah, you're normally based uh, in in South Africa, but at the moment you're in Bangladesh, right? Yes, I'm in Bangladesh for a couple of weeks. Nice. My, par- um, my partner is the U.S. ambassador here, so um, I split my time between Bangladesh and and South Africa and Botswana and our other locations. Awesome. Yeah, let's start by telling me a little bit about what Infinite Foods is. So Infinite Foods is a go-to-market platform to be able to promote and distribute plant-based foods across the sub-Saharan African continent. Um, so we're very much focused um, as a, with, a, with a mission of helping Africa leapfrog to a healthier and more sustainable food system. So we call ourselves a platform versus a distribution company because what we do for our brands that we represent is very comprehensive in terms of doing everything for them from the upfront initial regulatory um, support all the way through direct selling, support for merchandising, all the way down to the corporate social responsibility um, side of the house. And we do that across the continent and really look at the value chain um, in a very deep way. So everything from distribution, ultimately driving down into manufacturing and raw ingredient uh, production. And you started this uh, approximately about two years ago. Is Is that correct? Yeah, so we launched um, just in late 2018. So 2019 was our first full trading year. So, you know, it was fun to go into, you know, year number two of trading in 2020 uh, during COVID. But uh, so it was, it was a little bit of a wild ride, but it was uh, was very successful year nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. And can you tell me about some of the brands that you're working with at the moment? Um, some Obviously, some very big ones. Yeah, so... Um, you know, we really believe that part of making our platform um, be successful is we have to have the best tasting food <laughs> and, and, and great brands. So we do represent, um, you know, key category leaders across all of the major food categories. So Beyond Meat um, is a very big part of our business. We represent both retail and food service lines, Oatly, Miyoko's Butter, uh, we're just about ready to launch Upton's and Good Catch. Uh, just Egg will be coming later on this year. So we are really working with the category leaders across all of the major plant-based food um, categories. Yeah. Um, and what's what's been their adoption uh, and, and which sort of countries are really sort of uh, driving that growth for them? Yeah, it's been amazing, really. Um, you know, when I first started Infinite Foods a couple of years ago and you know, I rocked up in California, you know, to all of the plant-based food um, company headquarters and said, hey, you know, we're going to start this company and we're going to distribute plant-based food in Africa. You know, they all looked at me like I was a little strange. Um, but the adoption has been really fantastic. We have been um, experiencing over 300% year-over-year growth. And that has to do with, you know, obviously the popularity of the product lines that we're picking um, and, and working with. But you know, across the continent, we are seeing an increase in population, we're seeing an increase in protein consumption, and we're seeing an increase in the, uh, the adoption of plant-based alternatives. 
So, you know, those things multiplied with our geographic growth, uh, which now is South Africa, Botswana, and Mauritius in the Southern Sadic area. Um, Kenya, our office in Kenya just opened and we'll be moving into West Africa and to Ghana and Nigeria later this year. Yeah, and um, in terms of those brands like Beyond Meat, for example, um, yeah. part of their, their product is also uh, the, the you know, frozen category. Um, mm -hmm. Are you also, um, are you also um, selling those with your, with your retail partners? Yeah, so um, most of our lines now are frozen and chilled. Right. Um, which of course makes our work very challenging. So yeah, I was going to ask cold, about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> the supply the chain. Cold, yeah, the cold supply chain in Africa in general is very immature. Um, if you measure the um, you know, cold chain capacity, they, they usually do it in terms of you know, cubic meters of cold storage capacity per person. I mean, I think, I, I don't know the exact statistic off the top of my head, but Africa is operating at like 20% of like the rest of the world. So part of the challenge of building our business is also building particularly the last mile cold chain capabilities, um, which really are non-existent. And it gets even further complicated by the fact that in a lot of the markets that we operate, including in South Africa, which is probably the most sophisticated of the retail markets in Africa, you know, 50% of food distribution is in informal markets. Right. So it's in, um, you know, small street vendors in distributed locations. So not only do we have to tackle the problem of maintaining a good solid cold supply chain, we have to tackle the problem of how do we do that both in formal and in informal markets. Yeah. So how, how would it work in informal markets where they don't have, uh, you know, uh, a, a frozen, uh, you know, chiller to put everything in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They, I don't know. <laughs> so, um, so it is, it's one of our big initiatives for this year, um, which is to kind of map out our strategy around um, the cold supply chain, because you're right, most of these vendors are working with non-perishable products. Right. And to some extent, they'll work with fresh fruits and vegetables, but they're not working with fresh fruits and vegetables that have to be, you know, refrigerated, you know, on their stand or be kept overnight. They basically buy what they need for the day and sell what they need for the day. So one of the things that we're looking at is, is that model, like are we bringing the chilled products to them or um, do they, is there a, a pickup model? And then once we've enabled these informal vendors with um, chilled cold storage capacity, what other things can we support them with, right? So what are the other key products, and they may not just be food, um, that would be important that the vendors could be providing as a service into their community where cold storage um, is, is necessary? Yeah, I'll, I'll quite like, you know, if there was this like pickup model where, you know, they, they could sell the product in the markets and then say, okay, you need to go there, you know, do the payments on their mobile phone because that's quite mature now in Africa and, uh, and just go to a centralized uh, location that isn't hopefully too far from the market that can, they can just pick it up if exactly. it's not too so, much. So, so I'll tell you what, we'll have a bet next year. We'll, we should, we'll, we'll mark this day, right. you know, uh, February 22nd, 2022. Right. We'll have a complete conversation about okay. last mile cold chain. <laughs> okay, let's do that. <laughs> um, so, um, and what's quite good then, I guess in some, uh, you know, 
countries, um, specifically uh, South Africa, the retail distribution is is a lot is is a li little bit wider, I think. Um, but it'd be good to talk about you know who are your main retailers that you're working with, um, and obviously the the restaurant chains, which would be quite cool as well. Yeah. So, you know, in Southern Africa is probably the most organized from a formal retail perspective. Um, but as I said, you know, 50% of South Africa retail is formalized through um, a number of key players. So 98% of that formal retailing is actually going through four players. So it's not quite as bad as, say, Australia that has a duopoly of really two major retailers. But, you know, in South Africa, we really have four major retailers. Right. So there's, you know, ShopRite Checkers, the Spar Group, the Pick and Pay Group, and Woolworths. Um, and then you've got food lovers, um, you know, kind of coming in um, after that. And then we have one major dominant um, commercial food, uh, food service distributor in the form of Bid Food. So it's quite a um, monopolistic system. And we're seeing adoption of plant-based foods across all of those major retail chains. We happen to have a very strong relationship with Woolworths, which is featuring the Beyond brand, but we really work with all of the retailers um, with the breadth of our product offering. And we are seeing some really amazing uptake. Um, one of the retailers told me that their line of frozen plant-based food products was the fastest moving product in their frozen category. So um, there definitely is movement on the shelf. And, you know, right now, because of the price point of most plant-based food products, um, you know, we're very much narrowed to, you know, your upper middle class uh, part segment of the market. And that's the segment of the market that is shopping in the formal retail sector. But certainly over the coming year, um, and going into next year, we're really expecting to see prices of plant-based foods to come down, which is going to really open up the market segments in terms of getting to a larger part of the middle class and ultimately the working class. Um, so we're very excited. For example, this year, we're going to be launching with Good Dot, which is a shelf-stable plant-based meat substitute, um, which is in the form of a chunk. And um, while ground meat um, products are fairly popular in Southern Africa. The further north you move, the less popular they become. You know, right. kind of hamburger is not really a thing. Right? Yeah. Um, and so we're really excited about products like Good Dot, um, you know, Veggie Victory, which you know of, which is launched now in Nigeria with their early generation products, um, are now offering the African consumer a plant-based meat alternative that fits into traditional dishes, which are primarily stews and curries. And so we believe that shelf-stable meat chunk market is gonna really open up um, a bunch of new consumers uh, in the plant-based food space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely uh, obviously excited about that space as well and seeing how all those uh, chunk products can be used in in, in the traditional stews uh, that are made. and you know, how it absorbs all the flavors of the stew broth as well. So yeah, it's uh, it's an important segment. Um, and also that is shelf stable, I think is, is a key one. Um, but it's great that you're in so many, with so many retailers. Um, and um, in, in terms of general food trends that you're seeing in Africa, 
Uh, I guess it varies from, like you say, from from country to country. But what, where would you say they are in 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 each of the markets that you're looking to to operate as well? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing to think about Africa is that in general, um, Africans are not huge meat eaters, um, you know, as a populace. So I, it, it partially goes back to traditional diets, which were fairly meat light, you know, you know, traditionally, you know, Africa, you know, we all were hunter gatherers, right? But, you know, uh, rather, rather meat light in terms of diet. And if you look at statistics from the FAO, for example, 60% at a macro level, 60% of people's diets is already plant-based. So it's vegetables and, and starchy vegetables. The next 20%, unfortunately, is sugar and cooking oil. So if you think about it, at a macro level, people's diets is 80%, um, you know, starchy carbohydrates, starchy vegetables, um, uh, cooking oil, and sugar. And that only leaves, you know, the remaining 20% has to cover all of your meat, dairy, fresh fruits, vegetables, um, you know, healthy fats, et cetera. So what we're seeing though is a, is a, so just to put it in context, you know, 325 million Americans consume more meat than, a, you know, all of the continent of Africa. Right, you know, so almost now, almost now, a billion consumers, um, and you know, Americans consume in aggregate more meat than all of Africa. But that consumption is changing, and it's changing as people's diets change, as more people are moving into the middle class. Uh, the st statistics say that meat consumption is increasing at about four percent per annum. So, and we have a population that's growing very fast. So the population in Africa is growing at about two and a half times faster than the rest of the world. So you have this multiplier effect of more people, more people moving into the middle class and people consuming more meat as part of their, their diets. So this is why we believe as Infinite Foods, we're in this very important inflection point where we can help Africa leapfrog to a healthier and more sustainable future. Because effectively, most uh, farming on the continent is still smallholder and generally regenerative. Um, and we don't have the presence of the big industrial agriculture factory farming system that you have, say, in the West. So we don't feel right now kind of the acute impact of, of uh, industrialized agriculture on our health, right? On the overuse of antibiotics and growth hormones, for example, in meat and dairy by, um, you know, the environmental effect of having, you know, very intensive animal agriculture, but it's gotta come, right? So if you're mm -hmm. gonna feed a billion people that are growing at, at, at you know, more between two and 5% per annum and increasing their consumption, something's gonna start to break. And that's why we believe that from a strategic perspective, we're sitting at the right place in the right time. Because just like Africa was able to leapfrog from you know, no phones to cell phones and move from you know, no banking to mobile banking, we believe that we can move to you know, a diet that is largely plant-based today to a diet where meat and dairy consumption is plant-based and therefore 
have a healthier and more resilient society. Mm. So uh, I know having spoken with Hakeem from, from Veggie Victory, he also speaks about electricity supply. Um, once, um, once the power stations and the supply becomes more stable, he's predicting that there'll be more animal farming coming into to Africa, like in, in Nigeria, for example. W would you agree on, on that statement that it's is, is also to do with uh, energy supply and then that will then bring this more industrialized processes to Africa as well? Well, I, I don't know that energy is the key, although Hakeem very well may be right that, um, you know, the lack of energy, which ties into really the immaturity of the cold chain infrastructure right. um, is the yeah. key. The challenge is really economic development, right? So unlike the Western world, you know, in the US only 2% of people are in commercial farming. In Africa, 50 to 60% of people are in agriculture, the where and, the, and they're smallholder farmers. So it's defined as the only income or nutrition that that person gets is from the, the, what they farm. Right. Uh, and so one of the challenges is looking for overall economic growth on the continent because to move people away from farming and away from fairly low intensity and low productivity farming to higher productivity farming. Well, higher productivity farming actually needs fewer people. So you have to create other economic diversification, other economic growth so that there are jobs for those people. So just to compare and contrast it, for example, to Bangladesh where I'm sitting right now, very similar situation where traditionally, you know, more than 50% of people were smallholder farmers. But what you see here, for example, in South Asia is the tremendous growth of the apparel industry and of manufacturing industries, which is pulling people out of farming and into you know, manufacturing jobs. And that's then making way and enabling um, mechanization and improved seed production and, and productivities to happen at the agricultural level. Um, because it's hard to push those productivity improvements um, if it means job loss um, in the African context. So it's quite complicated in terms of what the agricultural opportunity is because it's tied to the overall economic growth of these countries. Mm. Um, and it's important to note though, that if we think about the whole plant-based food space, one of the things that I believe that the growth of the plant-based food category is going to do is it's going to introduce new opportunities for new commodity products. So if we're gonna eat our hamburgers made out of peas and our eggs made out of mung beans and our milk made out of oats, well, somebody's got to grow the peas and the mung beans and the oats. Mm. And Africa is actually in a really good effort to capture that opportunity. Um, because in many ways, we don't have those big commercialized industrialized systems, maybe for the first time, our lack of infrastructure um, becomes a strength and not yeah. a barrier. Yeah, right? I you know, see uh, that. You know, a, a U.S. you know soy soy and, and maize farmer um, whose income, for example, on the maize side, very well may be tied to ethanol prices, not even to food. 
you know, they're not really motivated to turn on a dime and say, oh, let's grow peas and mung beans instead. Um, whereas in Africa, we are still sitting on, we're sitting on 25% of the world's arable land, but only 10% of the yields. So we have the opportunity to take the existing agricultural land, and we're not talking about, you know, clearing the rainforest to make way for agriculture. We're talking about existing arable land, make that land more productive and move these farmers into new types of commodities that will allow them to have a more sustainable livelihood. Um, so this is why from a platform perspective, we are so interested in looking at plant-based food, not only from a consumption perspective and a distribution perspective, but ultimately driving that opportunity all the way down to the ingredient level. Hmm. And when we think about like crops and ingredients, I know uh, we've spoken before about the cashews um, market in Africa being quite big, but not necessarily are they always been purchased from Africa, but most of the cashews in the world are coming from middlemen, right, in, in Vietnam. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, you know, unfortunately, a lot of agricultural commodities are just like natural resource commodities in Africa, you know, where diamonds are shipped off the continent to be cut and polished in an Antwerp and then sent to India to be made into jewelry. Unfortunately, a lot of times our agricultural commodities are the same. So 55% of the world's cashews are grown in Africa. So between Cote d'Ivoire, Tanzania, Mozambique, you've got the vast majority, the majority of the world's cashews being produced, but for the most part, they're being shipped to Vietnam to middlemen that are doing the processing, that are doing the grading and then selling on to the buyers. So one of the things that we're trying to do is intermediate or you know, disrupt that supply chain and try to connect the plant-based food companies directly with the um, increasingly more processors um, are being put in place on the continent that enables you know, a California plant-based dairy company to be able to buy directly from um, a group that is supporting, uh, directly supporting smallholder farmers. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Uh, and part of your uh, company um, is, uh, will be uh, to create a, like a manufacturing uh, hub as well. Can you speak a little bit about that and where you see that going? Yeah, so there's, there's two big strategic initiatives that we're working on um, over the next two years. So one of it is what we're calling our affiliate program. So we believe very strongly in an industry like the plant-based food space where it's so nascent and really, you know, despite all the buzz, those of us who live in this world, you know, we would think that everybody in the planet is, you know, eating Beyond Burgers and drinking Oatly. But, you know, the statistics are telling us that it's, you know, single digit, um, you know, uh, purchasing even at the US retail level. So we believe if we're gonna create a movement and really get people to switch uh, their diets, we need to make as many opportunities available to the consumer for them to try and fall in love with plant-based food. So as part of our initiatives, we're looking to develop and incubate local brands across the continent um, so that we can have great local brands that can sit by side by side with our international brands. And we're starting that initiative in South Africa. 
um, but we will be um, rolling out that initiative across all of the major countries that we operate. And you know that uh, you know that initiative is about you know empowering local entrepreneurs. A lot of our um, young entrepreneurs are female entrepreneurs, which I'm very proud of. About 80% of the companies that we're currently starting to work with are all run by our female-led and founded companies, which that's is right. obviously something near and dear to my heart. Yeah. Um, but we also believe that that then starts to become, uh, create a, a manufacturing, a credible manufacturing base for plant-based food and to build those plant-based food manufacturing skills. Um, and it's, um, you know, we can talk more about that program, but we believe that we can create strong plant-based manufacturing hubs in Africa. So again, we're starting in South Africa and we'll be looking at, you know, other sites in both East and West Africa, but South Africa offers plant-based food manufacturers in a great, you know, offshore, if you like, opportunity to manufacture plant-based food. So we have good water infrastructure. We do have good power infrastructure. Um, there's a history of food processing in South Africa. We have major ports which, which enable export. We have favorable trade terms with the EU and we can produce product. You know, our estimates are at about a 30% cost savings um, at a cost of goods sold level for say a cashew based dairy product. Um, you know, because the cashews are sitting on our doorstep. And so we would like to see manufacturing um, of plant-based foods in Africa, not only for distribution across Africa, but also as an economic development and growth opportunity to export those products, you know, from Africa into Europe. And that South Africa and Africa, different African countries could become plant-based food manufacturing hubs for international companies to have low cost, but high quality um, and traceable manufacturing that's sitting right where the ingredients are. Yeah, I, I think that uh, also, you know, that needs to happen when you're looking at also the, the population demand and growth there. Um, I think the decision for, um, you know, the big US plant-based companies would be, you know, for, for, for Europe, for example, where they might set up shop in a, create a manufacturing hub in say Amsterdam is like, how long could they support the African market with the production being in Amsterdam? Or should they, when should they consider that point of switching to a local uh, opportunity in Africa, for example? So, and then it's about, well, where's the manufacturing expertise? So I think I would imagine that's where maybe the questions will come, but it's the stuff, the challenges that needs to be overcome, I guess. Yeah. So we will be launching, you know, knock on wood in 2021, our first major manufacturing agreement with one of the category leading brands in South Africa. And in this case, we're actually working with an existing manufacturer who is manufacturing a similar product. So we're able to tap into effectively a co-packing co right. um, right. to be able to get this, got to start somewhere, right? Right. So, right. you know, rather than build a big greenfield, you know, plant-based manufacturing, uh, you know, facility, we're starting by working with existing manufacturers who have expertise and capacity Makes sense. in similar product lines, um, seeding that with affiliate brands and, 
um, hopefully with you know one or more of these international brands, and that yeah. that's what gets the ball rolling, establishes your credibility, and then creates a base for you to scale up from. Right. Um, and thinking about the incubator, um, what sort of companies are you looking for? Um, you know, what would you like to see the types of companies coming forward with your expertise in, in the plant-based arena already? So, you know, we're looking across all of the major categories, but in particularly for us right now, we're really focused on a lot of plant-based dairy um, alternatives. Right. And we're looking at the dairy alternatives for a couple of reasons. One is, Plant-based dairy, we believe, is one of the most important categories that we can promote in Africa because the lactose intolerance level across the African community is incredibly high. You know, according to statistics, you know, at least 80% of Africans are lactose intolerant. Wow, that's huge. And most, it's huge, right? Yeah. It's huge. And most of them don't know it, right? Um, you know, most people don't know they're lactose intolerant. And you know, what's interesting is that we are seeing rise of diabetes and heart disease and other right. lifestyle related diseases yeah. that very well may be also tied to lactose intolerance because people are consuming lactose, they're, they have a lot of inflammation in their system and it has a knock on effect on all sorts of other health issues. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and so let's, we, let's also yeah. not forget that you know humans are the only species that drinks milk from another species, which is kind of a bit weird. It's a little, it's a little strange, right? <laughs> so, so we we believe this plant-based dairy category is a really important category for overall health. Um, the other thing is a lot of plant-based dairy alternatives are chilled and not frozen. So it makes international distribution much more difficult to get started um, because they'll generally have shorter shelf life um, because they're not frozen. And therefore it just makes the whole supply chain more complicated when you're in an import distribution business. When products can be frozen or they're shelf stable, it's much easier, you know, load up a container, stick it in the freezer, load up a container, stick it in the warehouse and, you know, start distributing the product. So, it's, it's a lot more straightforward when, than when you've got, you know, product that mm -hmm. might have six months or less shelf life, you know, you lose a month and a half on, on the water, right? So by the time you pick it up from the manufacturing plant, get it on the boat, get it across, get it out of customs, you know, you've lost 45 days. So if you have a product that has less than six months shelf life, you know, you've already lost a month and a half of that shelf life. Mm -hmm. So um, the, the other main reason is we believe that, you know, we can get more plant-based butters, plant-based yogurts, plant-based ice creams, um, that need to be chilled and have shorter shelf life, especially if you want to manufacture them without a lot of preservatives. Yeah. I mean, that's the direction that a lot of companies would like to go for, especially the, you know, obviously the plant-based ones to have natural ingredients, uh, for sure. Um, so in terms of, um, I guess, just going back to the um, incubator side, um, is some of the challenges, or do you see some of the challenges with um, starting those companies with the uh, talent, especially when you're looking at, um, I guess, people uh, and students coming out of university with yeah. uh, who are food scientists? <laughs> I mean, I, I would like to see... Uh, the universities investing more on this side um, 
So I, I, I think, do you, do, you, do you think that needs to be encouraged? Yeah, and I think that's why we're looking, again, looking at, we have to look at this as an ecosystem. Because mm. let's face it, you know, the innovation happens where the money flows. So, you know, there's a huge amount of innovation that's happening in California, right? Why? Because tech money is flowing into the category. Um, there's a lot of innovation happening in the US, in Europe, that's where the money is flowing and that's where the human resource talent is in terms of food scientists um, and entrepreneurs who can you know, put these things together and, and, and create companies. In Southern Africa, we have fewer of those resources. You know, Our education levels at a broad scale are not nearly as sophisticated. We don't, you know, we're not cranking out, you know, tens of thousands of food scientists. Um, mm. And, you know, similarly on the entrepreneurial side, you know, we're we're continuing to try to develop an entrepreneurial culture and an entrepreneurial ex, uh, spirit. And you need both, right? You need the technology and you need the entrepreneurs. And frankly, they need access to capital right. uh, and markets. And uh, let's face it, the doing business on the sub-Saharan African markets is not easy, right? I mean, it, you know, we I, I talk about it as like a thing, but it's not a thing. It's 54 different countries, each of which have their own issues and opportunities, right? You know, different countries, different currency, different regulation, different supply chains, different players, different culture, um, you know, you know, different gaps in the marketplace different ease of being able or unease of being able to do business, different security concerns. So, um, you know, if you're a small, say South African or Nigerian, um, you know, startup company, even trying to navigate within the continent, just because you're in Nigeria or South Africa doesn't mean it's any easier, <laughs> you know, to get to Kenya. Um, so we have to recognize that we're working in this very complex distribution environment. And part of the value that we offer to the affiliates is to try to smooth the way for them to get scale, not only in their local countries, but ultimately on a regional level, a Pan-African level, and, and ultimately we'd like to develop them so they can compete on the international stage. So as part of the incubation um, program that we are developing, we're looking at developing angel level funding for these companies because access to finance is difficult. We're looking at creating university relationships both within, um, within Africa, but also with um, US and European um, universities. We're gonna hopefully launch this year what we're calling our Infinite Foods Fellows Program or we're gonna provide an opportunity for food scientists to be able to come to Africa and work with our affiliates so they can get some hands-on experience and working side by side and our affiliates can get, get access to that, that expertise. Um, so they, and then obviously we're supporting them with the sales and distribution of their products. So we really have to look at this very holistically in terms of giving these entrepreneurs the business support they need, the financial support they need, access to tech R&D, you know, access to sales and distribution so that they can scale their businesses and, and hopefully be really successful. Yeah, sounds great. And uh, will you be looking to raise a, a separate fund for like your incubator that external investors could invest yeah. in? 
Yeah, so we're going to develop a specific, um, uh, you know, SPV for the um, for the affiliates, and there'll probably be kind of two different types of fund. There's going to be an angel fund because a lot of what these affiliates need is, you know, they need cash to get stuff done, <laughs> um, and 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 it's that kind of angel level investments that are it's really hard to come by in Africa. So, you know, small amounts of, of seed capital that enable them to get started and get things done. And then we're going to do a, a separate fund that'll be more focused around hard asset development. So the next challenge, you know, once you've got your product and you're getting some traction, you've built your brand, the next big challenge is how do you scale up manufacturing? So, you know, so that's that second fund will be very much tied to getting them access to hard assets through um, you know, asset financing, access to manufacturing capacity um, so that they can scale the businesses um, in a sustainable way. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, and uh, what's, what's your background story? Oh gosh, it gets really complicated. So <laughs> I, um, I've been living and working in Africa since 2012. Um, I'm American, the accent always gives it away. And I really spent the first, you know, 25 years of my career at Accenture, the big management consulting company, and had, you know, fantastic opportunity to really get a lot of global experience. I worked with a lot of CPG companies, and um, and it was really a, a wonderful place to kind of build your business skills and prepare yourself for doing something crazy like, you know, moving to Africa and building food and ag tech businesses. Um, but I started a, a small boutique investment firm called Excite um, in 2012, really focused around trying to build food and ag type businesses in Africa. Um, I do quite a bit of nonprofit work. Um, and one of the challenges that we always came across as we're trying to work particularly with orphan and vulnerable children was if we didn't create an environment where the mothers in particular had some financial security, a lot of the investments that we were trying to make with children kind of fell to the wayside. And you didn't create that sustainable change that you were looking for. And so in 2012, I became very motivated to kind of put my money where my mouth was and to try to build those types of businesses that would create employment for women, um, both young entrepreneurs, as well as, as people in the working class and so, you know, for, since, uh, you know, for the last number of years, this is all I've done. So uh, um, our big flagship ag business is in Botswana called GoFresh. And it's a fresh produce company where we use controlled environment and greenhouse technology to grow fresh produce in the desert. Um, and so we have effectively disrupted the supply chain of growing fresh produce in a country, which is kind yeah. of cool. What are you and growing, by the way? So we grow um, anything that would go in your salad, right? So uh, leafy greens um, and lettuce, tomatoes, peppers, cucumbers, uh, culinary herbs, and we service both the local market as well as the high-end tourist market, the safari industry um, in Botswana. Nice. Yeah, good. So yeah, great background there on on uh, working with the big CPGs and and uh, and also today with with the uh, 
the manufacturing of uh, those uh, salad salad greens, which is all helpful <laughs> for the plant-based uh, business. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Great. Um, so, yeah, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, really appreciate uh, you um, talking about all the things that you're working on. And, yeah, I'm going to hold you to that date for next hold year. Hold you to that date. February. Yeah. All right. Got to get the team rocking and rolling. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you again and, and see okay, you soon. Bye. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.